Welcome to In The Queue. I'm your host, Andrew. And I'm your other host, Phil. Today, we're going to be talking about a new release uh, as part of our new format where we're trying to cover movies as they're coming out. And one of the big releases, in fact, the number one release at the box office this past weekend with $45 million was 300, Rise of an Empire. And that's what we'll be talking about today. 300 is the 300 Rise of an Empire, I should say, is the sequel to 300, a movie from several years back, directed by Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. That was a big, big hit. Uh, very stylistically interesting film. Lots of uh, special effects to create sort of the atmosphere and the look of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much done entirely in front of a green screen. I think they made that whole movie in a warehouse. Probably the same with this one. Yeah. Uh, but this film is not actually directed by Zack Snyder. It's written in part by Zack Snyder, but directed by Gnome Muro, mm-hmm. who is most notable for having directed a movie from a few years back called Smart People with Thomas Hayden Church and Ellen Page and Dennis Quaid, I think, mm-hmm. Sarah Jessica Parker. Wow. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, very unlike this film, <laughs> uh, 300 Rise of an Empire concerns itself with concurrent events taking place in the Greek Peloponnesus uh, basically uh, while the, the 300 Spartans are waging their battle Themistocles is leading a naval battle mm-hmm. with the Persians and and sort of keeping them off of the Greek shores and this is historically accurate to some extent in that this did happen uh, at least, at least the the vague premise happened. At least the, the premise happened. These were concurrent events that were happening simultaneously, uh, but uh, but that's about where it ends. I think, uh, as with three hundred, this film takes a lot of sort of flights of fancy and uh, liberties with the factual elements of the story and uh, concerns itself, as I said, more with the style. So, speaking of that style, right. why don't we get into talking about? Sure, it I think you if you're going to talk about the style, you you also have to sort of spend some time on the uh, the source material whereas this it historically this battle or these battles did happen mm-hmm. uh, the film takes its look and style and general attitude from the Frank Miller comics graphic novels yes, um, yes. that that Frank Miller uh, uh created and um this one is based off of uh, a graphic novel he wrote called Xerxes which interestingly Xerxes is not the the focal one of the focal characters in this film not at all. He's sort of tertiary, actually, and he may he may come to play if God forbid there was a sequel to this film. Um, <laughs> but uh, in the film, he's sort of a sort of a looming presence, you know, like he he's more suggested as he could really have some impact. But as far as the impact he does have, it's fairly minimal. Yeah, and I think that that has mostly to do with the fact that this is concurrent to the events of Three Hundred, and he is sort of the main antagonist in Three Hundred. He's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's too busy doing that. To appear in this film, yes. he's he's you know divided right now. Indeed. Um, so the the visual effects, well, boy, I mean, I I'm I'm kind of a fan of this sort of hyper real, almost cartoon like style that Sin City yeah. uh, pioneered back in 2005. I think it's visually very enticing and different, and um, as somebody who has seen maybe i don't know a couple thousand movies by now it's it's so different yeah. and interesting that it kind of <clears throat> suspends my brain f- 
from thinking too much about what's going on and I'm kind of caught up in what I'm seeing. I think that's mm. kind of the intended effect that these movies are supposed to have on people. Um, 300 Rise of an Empire, I mentioned this to you, Andrew, before the show. I, I did not see it 3D. I, I had the opportunity to see it 3D, but I mm-hmm. thought I'm not going to pay any extra money on a film that is going <laughs> to be basically like like as dispensable as a can of Coke for me. Right. And, and probably more harmful. So, <laughs> so I, I, I opted out of paying the extra money, however much it was. I'm in Florida right now. The, uh, I saw this movie at this gigantic multiplex. I mean, yeah. it was ridiculous. Uh, I walk in, gigantic, humongous theater. Um, and there were about 25, 30 people there. And I could tell like right off the bat, first off, when we were supposed to be getting our, you know, 3D hits when the when you know when if you're watching with 3D glasses that's when the um the spinning disembodied yeah. head will fly at you and and mm-hmm. there was so much of that like play on the on the Z axis that I was thinking like that uh I really sort of was glad that I did not get 3D glasses because it was really totally uh unnecessary for a film that was really uh uh, very aggressive in its attack in a 2D format. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I did see it in 3D. Uh, I saw it as well in a large multiplex. I saw it at the AMC in Times Square, which is normally a very busy, busy theater, but I saw it on a Sunday morning, which was a very nice nice thing to do because there was nobody there. Pleasant, <laughs> uh, pleasant excursion. Very, very pleasant excursion. There were maybe eight other people in the theater with me, and I saw it in the theater... Uh, the sort of premium theater that's the ETX, Dolby, Atmos sound, uh, which I have to say was very impressive. Yeah. It was very overwhelming. It was really a very uh, uh, immersive experience to see. That yeah. was the first time I'd ever seen a film with the Dolby Atmos uh, sort of uh, feel to it, and it was and it was it was great. I mean, it was thunderous. Yes. It really, it it almost I almost could feel the the pressure from the. Yeah. The cones, you know? I had the same experience. I'm sure that it was the same audio setup. And it was like the sound really did a lot to kind of like summon up this like uh, sort of feeling of like I'm ready to go charge into battle, you know? Yeah. um, And at the same time, I was thinking about our Oscar show and about sound mixing and sound editing. And then I actually started to stop and listen to the sound itself uh, uh, separate from the the visuals. And when I actually parsed through it in my in my ear, I mm-hmm. I actually became less impressed as I sort of heard what it was made of. Um, yeah, it was it it didn't seem to have as much sort of complexity. It was just it was kind of like a thundering, throwing sound yeah. at you. I mean, yeah, but if you were like just, it, just a, a wall of sound, if you will, <laughs> exactly. Phil Spector would be proud. Yeah. So <laughs> if you if you were just gonna sit there and kind of you know, let your eyeballs glaze over and just receive this thunderous sound, then um, it's almost like it, it did the job. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I would agree with that. And and as to the visual effects that you were you were talking about, uh, I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned Sin City uh, because that is also a Frank Miller graphic novel. Yeah, that's why I mentioned it. That it is magnificent. And, and it, it did sort of pioneer this sort of new age of green screen mm-hmm. Films and normally I'm not a big fan of them. Sin City I happen to love mm-hmm. and think is fantastic, uh, but normally I'm not a fan. And I think that this movie 
uh, conjured up a lot of the reasons why I'm not a fan of it. Not only does it sort of <clears throat> put you in into sort of just ridiculously, you know, implausible circumstances all the time, which it does. Uh-huh. More than that, uh, it's great for action sequences when there's a lot happening and, and great things going on. But as soon as you get into a scene where it's just a couple people talking, everything falls flat because there's no, there's no environment for the people to be acting in. The actors have nothing to interact I with. See. So they're just standing there in front of a green screen. And so when you're just painting on a backdrop of sort of Elysian fields blowing in the wind, uh-huh. it 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 just becomes stale, uninteresting, dull. Are you saying that because of the, the, the performances they give? Like, do you feel like that the green screen is not giving them proper sort of material to draw from? I think it just, I think it, it allows filmmakers to become uh, lazy with their mise-en-scene, mm. lazy with the, they just shoot, you know, over the shoulder, just they just shoot shot, reverse shot in front of a green screen and then fill in the background. And I think it's, it gets super lazy and uninteresting. Yeah, that's interesting because that's sort of, takes us back to like the thirties in a way, you know, where, where, <laughs> where people are doing rear projection and, 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 you know, yeah. c- composing their shots in sort of traditional coverage method, like you described over the shoulder and, yeah. and, uh, people are still sort of like the technology is still new. So, so that it is kind of flat, you know? I mean, yeah. But. And I think, I think that the, the, where the, it really shines is when they get to do their, they're crazy, crazy things. And in that, in that regard, it, it does make for visually interesting material, but that's about it. There's no substance. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a big thing about this film. And that sort of brings us to the script, which is, in my opinion, completely without substance. I think it's it, – I, I have not been to a film in a long time where I thought that they were really going through the motions – uh-huh. just trying to hit the... They're like, okay, now we have to have a speech about heroism and bravery, and now we have to have a speech about love of country, and I guess now we have to have the speech where they, you know, wonder what it's all for. And it it was just like a series of those speeches strung together by, you know, just acrobatic, you know, action sequences. Mm-hmm. And I felt that it, it, it was just it was just awful. In that regard, it was just it was just terrible. It, like I, especially the thing that really did it for me, and the place where I s- completely checked out of the movie, was when they were handed their first defeat. They were the uh, Persians had come up with this ingenious sort of, you know, way of uh, sort of pouring pitch into the ocean and then lighting it on fire to blow their ships up. You know, to burn all of the the Greek ships mm-hmm. and. And they were handed their first defeat. And rather than be like, well, that was a defeat. That was bad. And, you know, it's the first time that we've lost to these guys. <laughs> they suddenly became morose and contemplative and, and inwardly focused. And they were suddenly like, oh, is this, is it worth it? You know? <laughs> and it seemed out of place. It seemed weird. Yeah. And I think that that's because they were just going through the motions. They were... They were saying, well, this is the part where they have to be handed. It, it's almost like looking at like the Robert McKee screenplay. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. You know, books and stuff like that. And they were just hitting every point in that. And, and it just felt rote. Well, I definitely uh, get your criticism on that. And it was it was rote. I mean, that was that was the film. It was very rote. And I think that the uh, I hate to say this, but I feel like 
the the intended impact of the film was was you know not to really think that much and and, oh, yeah. and just <laughs> I, I would agree, I would agree <laughs> with that. I I, I uh, my experience of the film was that I I was kind of blown back by the audio and the visuals and I just I just kind of uh I was watching it and I was just very very sort of caught up um I think that the 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 real strength of the the film are those those visual moments where you just kind of get like elated at how how gorgeous the imagery is there's the 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 film is full of moments like that to be honest with you um I did not particularly <laughs> Feel like I was rooting for the Greeks in this case, uh, or rooting yeah, yeah. rooting for anybody for that matter. It's almost like they're just sort of like you know toy soldiers in a sandbox, and yeah. they're just all sort of uh, killing each other. And it's for your entertainment. Entertainment is the word. And, and Are you not amused? There's absolutely no. There's no. There's no substance whatsoever, except maybe one kind of slightly humorous substance that we can talk about later. One kind of one moment of subtext that I thought was actually the most sort of um, impactful or or heartfelt moment of the film, actually, and it got kind of a reaction from the crowd, which we can talk talk about that later. Certain, um, certain. Uh, but yeah, no, I I think I think that what you're saying makes sense, but my my contention to that would be why can't that be in place in an interesting film. Take, for instance, I would say something that, that is comparable in, in some ways. It's starting to get a little bit old now, but The Matrix, which came out in 1999, is a visually arresting, stunning film uh-huh. to watch. Just, you know, it just floors you with its visuals. But it's also got a really interesting story and characters that you care about. And even though a lot of people complain that it has a really sort of insipid script, it does to some extent, but it's got it's a script with ideas at least mm-hmm. it's a script with uh some sort of heart this i felt was totally devoid of that it really felt like somebody had just checked off a number of things on a checklist that they had gotten from a screenwriting manual and and that was it i think you're describing the whole of hollywood filmmaking these days i mean well yeah <laughs> yeah sadly uh i mean not all of it i mean occasionally some good things come out of it as we have seen and talked about, but uh, yeah, I think, I think the majority of Hollywood filmmaking, especially the sort of blockbuster filmmaking. Yeah. Is, is this, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I would, I think a smarter film would indeed give you more to chew on, more to think about. Um, I, uh, I am waiting for that kind of a film to appear. (laughs) In the the meantime, I thought that the, the script it basically did its job. It's 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 not really meant to be, you know, Silence of the Lambs or, or you know, or even The Matrix. It's just kind of like, it's a slash slash them up, heroic battle. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's an adventure epic, yeah. of sorts. Well, well, well. Speaking of um, three hundred. <laughs> speaking of the movie we're speaking about, there was um. The moment that I was talking about that got the reaction from the crowd, and I, I kid you not, um, the crowd did not react at all except for this one moment. 
this moment uh, had to do with it came on the heels of a sort of uh, somewhat surprising sex scene between uh, the main uh, Greek warrior. Um, the the hero and the antagonist, the protagonist and the antagonist, if you that's will. That's right, Themistocles and Artemisia, uh, who is mm-hmm. the, the female villain of the film, played by, played by Eva Green. Eva Green. That's right. Mm-hmm. And yes. um, and then Themistocles. And what happens is there's there's sort of like they 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 end their battle for the day, and each each member of the of the enemy and the and the good guys they go and they retire for the evening and then they kind of you know rest until the next morning and then Themistocles gets this invitation to join or at least to have kind of a powwow an audience an audience with yeah. Artemisia seek audience with Artemisia and so he go he decides to go and uh what happens is he gets on her boat and she starts to seduce him and he goes for it and they have this uh raucous sex scene rough, rough sex <laughs> very yeah. rough sex and uh she seems to be into it i think she probably thinks that she's getting her way out of this mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh as as to whether or not either one of them achieve it's not clear mm-hmm. uh but eventually after they've you know finished she says well you know do you do you stand by me or, or do you stand with me now and then he says no uh, and then he he gets back in uh, his boat, and they send him back to the shore where his where his men are, and they're like, you know, so you know, what was decided? What did you discuss? And then the camera kind of rests on the the mystically's face, and he just kind of gives this sort of like a kind of like a shrug slash acquiescence yeah. facial expression. And when he did that, that's when there was laughing in the crowd. And what happens after that is they the next day when they fight they lose the battle, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's, yeah, and I know that there's this. I I'll, while I've never actually played for a football team, I know that high school coaches will sometimes say to their team, you know, okay, you know, we have a game tomorrow, you know, make sure you know no 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 sex, no jerking off, you know, it's like you know we got we got to be warriors tomorrow, we got to fight tomorrow, we got to win, I'm sap you of your energy, you gotta, you know, strength, that, that strength juice inside, and just. And take it out on the battlefield the next day. Strength. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. And and then and then they lose the battle the next day. And uh, to me, that was the most human moment of the whole freaking movie. I mean, it was like that's that was like that's when these guys were sort of who are painted on screen as uh, warriors and heroes. That's when it sort of takes them down to the level of like the guys who are watching this on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that uh, to me, I thought that was the closest thing it came to sort of something that you could relate to on a human level. Yeah, I, w- I would say that there's something to be said for that, although I don't think that it was dealt with in any kind of I don't think that they if they. Did mean to if they did deal with it, they didn't mean to deal with it. You don't think so? I don't. I don't, I don't think that that. I, I don't think that that was necessarily intentional at all. Well, but yes, I, but you must think, or you would agree that he, when he arrives back on the shore, and his and his men are like, "What happened?" And then he, they, the, the 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 take that he gives, like the it was yeah, it was fine. I mean, <laughs> it was it was about as animated as he was at the entire film. 
which is not saying much because he was fairly stoic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, other than screaming every now and again, as people are wont to do in these films. Right. Gerard Butler pretty much screamed his way through the entire first film. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I don't, you know, I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. There is something there, but uh, it's not enough for me. (laughs) It's all I'm saying. (laughs) Um, Which, uh, but as you were saying, yeah, there is a certain element in this film about, uh, the uh, unattainable sort of ideal, right? The guys in this film, this film is cheesecake. Mm. Like this film is pure cheesecake, right? Do you mean, it, uh, do you mean beefcake or cheese? Beefcake. Cheesecake is for women, isn't it? I, I, I guess. Yeah. Well, the, okay. uh, no, I know what you mean though. Beefcake guy. I've never heard anything. I've never heard it described as beef. You don't say like, Oh yeah, that's a, that's a real slice of beefcake. You, you describe somebody as being a beefcake. But like when you're talking about basically, you know, uh, soft core sort of erotic imagery, that's usually cheesecake. Okay, well, Whether it's for men or women, I think it's just referred to as cheesecake. I could be wrong. I may, Listeners, I'm, please correct me if I am. Please give us, um, yeah, send us an email or give us a post. I am, I am <laughs> not as learned in these matters. So I will, I will deign to your term usage of cheesecake to describe men. Regardless, all I'm trying to say is that these guys are cut. Yep, and I think <laughs> I think for the most part it's real. I don't. It's not actually. I think it's 100 percent real. Yeah. I think it's 100 percent real. I know that for the first movie, they the guys were in like hardcore like boot camp training for months before making the movie, so that they would be as cut as they were. And I know plenty of ladies who love the first movie for one reason and one reason alone, and that's those abs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> those sweet sweet abs. Yeah. And they are on display in this movie, and I uh, I think it's a fascinating phenomenon. These two films, especially, but a number of other films uh, in recent years as well. This uh, this kind of uh, object objectification of the the male physique, uh, yeah, in in, in a, an interesting way because they like the guys in this film don't serve any purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're there's no reason that nobody should be wearing any armor other than the fact that i think maybe the the spartans wore a little armor historically yeah although i'm not even sure that's true i know that like uh hoplites and stuff like that were covered in armor and in this film of course they aren't right and uh hoplites had that th- l- the large shield that they would hide behind also exactly anyway. large shield and then the helmets and, and the spear. you know I mean, they had the whole whole nine yards yeah and uh and in this film they certainly are not not clad in yeah. very much. And you got you got to ask yourself, like, how did these guys get those raging abs? I mean, they don't have. This guy takes a lot of time and effort. Then they don't have gymnasiums yeah. back then um, to actually spend all day in working out. You know, it's yeah. And and there's there's speaking of the the, the cheesecake as you call it, and it kind of ties in with the the violence for me as to create. An almost pornographic film, in the sense that yeah. your your the the film is exists almost entirely on like a basic. It's one of the most base films yeah, I've ever seen. Base base levels. It's just like the way the swords slash and the blood never stops flowing every single time somebody gets slashed. Yeah. it's just like even the smallest little stabbings people it just gushes blood across the screen yeah, and it, it's even it's i was thinking to myself the last movie i saw that had this much blood and guts was django unchained and that doesn't even come nearly close to the amount of bloodletting in this film <laughs> no. and it, it is it's almost like 
it's meant just to give you that vicarious thrill that like like pornography really visceral yeah, that, pornographic kind of yeah that pornography would give just in a slightly different way yeah yeah i think it's i think this is a sort of fascinating convergence of the the two uh schools of thought on on kind of the, the mpaa rating system and and vis-a-vis pornography and all that kind of stuff you know people talk about how violent films can get and how incredibly violent uh, the MPAA will allow a film to get and still give it an R rating and not bump it up into NC-17. Then the moment that you show, for instance, a a, a male's genitalia, mm-hmm. it's automatically considered for an NC-17 rating. Yeah, and oftentimes gets it. For instance, Shame, uh, Steve McQueen's film from a few years ago, uh, was got that rating as a result of showing. Wieners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and this film does everything it can to get around that by showing everything but wieners. Yeah. And you know the, the interesting thing about the MPAA is like they recently changed their rating guidelines and their their criteria. If you look at their their description of the violence in this 300 film, it's rated R for strong sustained sequences of stylized bloody violence throughout. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, yeah. they are really splitting hairs there with that uh, terminology. I mean, it's almost like what would push strong, sustained sequences of stylized bloody violence throughout into the next level, which would be NC-17 territory? Like, would it be very strong, sustained sequences of stylized bloody violence throughout? Right. It's. I mean, it just seems, you know, the film was, it was kind of, It. I left not feeling that good. I will say that about this film uh, yeah. with that, which I did not that which I really did find objectionable to the whole experience is that when I left the film, I was like, Ugh, I do feel like I've kind of mortgaged a piece of my soul and maybe having some substance like you were, like you were missing Andrew would have made up some of the difference. But I think what would have made the, made up the difference even more for me would have been much less of the, of the, you know, stupid killing and then a little bit more drama, thought character because cause once you once yeah, every, you see it, you know, it's like you you okay, I get it. This is how they're gonna die in this film. I understand. Yeah, and and, and I think that uh I, I, I never met a cast of characters that was more forgettable. <laughs> I, I I you know, I mean Sullivan Stapleton plays Themistocles in this film, and I he was just utterly forgettable. There's almost nothing that that and I think that this is fascinating that this sort of ties into our discussion of the like the the pornography of it. Like these people almost exist as placeholders. They're, bo- you know, they're, they're bodies. They're, they're just bodies. They're just bodies. They're, they're idealized just bodies, bodies to be there. Idealized bodies to be there. And that includes Ava Green, who's actually a very talented actress and very good. Uh not that not that some of these other people aren't. Um the first three hundred had a ton of great uh actors in it. But this you know, I, I mean, like, like even she exists essentially to be a body. She, she chews the scenery as much as she can as sort of Artemisia, this sort of evil mm-hmm. character. But, but it's all so hollow. And at the end, you know, when you get to the final confrontations and you get to this ridiculous sequence where Themistocles is riding a horse across all of these wrecked ships, uh, <laughs> you know, through fire. And you're just sort of like, oh, I give up. Uh, I totally give up on this movie. It, it gets to that point. Uh, and, and you 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 look at it and you say nobody is here for any other reason than to be pretty. Yeah. 
I, you know, I, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird phenomenon. I, I'm not sure it's a phenomenon even. I, there, there are examples of this throughout the history of film and, and art in general. Yeah. But uh, I just, I just find it a fascinating, I find it a fascinating cultural phenomenon that people latch onto these films and love them so much. And, uh, and I think it's, you know, I mean, it's like saying I, I love you porn in a sense. I, I would definitely have some, some second thoughts about somebody who would buy this film or, or, or download it. Watch it multiple times. Yeah, watch it more than once even. I wonder though, Andrew, if maybe one reason why I'm asking myself, why, why did I tolerate this film? And I think it, it may have something to do with this, that I have a certain detachment that sort of enables me to sort of uh, see the, the puppet string, so to speak, while I'm watching the film. Um, but I, I thought it was, it was dumb. It was dumb, but it was fun, basically. But, uh, yep. but as I said, when it was over, I started to feel a little bit like, okay, this is too much. You know, let me go. <laughs> let me leave this place. Well, as I said, I, I turned off to the film mid, you know, midway, maybe two thirds of the way through when they lost their battle. And it was just, you know, it was just yeah endless battle sequence after battle sequence after that. You know, I just couldn't deal with it. Yeah, I have to admit, I after after the um, that sort of premature ending, um, I definitely uh, felt like I was ready to, to, to leave. But um, but yeah, it was like almost like a physical experience watching the film. Yeah, and it's that's interesting to me because it was very much, in a way, pornography. And maybe me or Andrew will write an essay about this. It, it <laughs> yeah. would probably be me. Probably good. I would, <laughs> I would probably write it, and then maybe we'll post it, and then we'll see see what mm-hmm. what other people think. But something about Three Hundred uh, Rise of an Empire, it's teetering on the edge of an NC seventeen. I think, without a doubt. I I actually don't think it is. Ooh. I, I don't think it is. Just, just because of the... I think that there is a double standard in the MPAA for violence versus sex. And because the sex in here was relatively, quote-unquote, chaste, I mean, you certainly saw a lot of Ava Green. You got to see her, you know, full front... Well, topless. Yes. And, and, there, and, the, and the sex was violent. Right. It was very aggressive sex. It, it was still relatively chased by MPAA standards. I think that if you had had more sex in the film, yes, we would have pushed ourselves towards an NC-17. But I think they could have tripled the violence and they wouldn't have gotten Well, I definitely see your point. And I, and I hearken back to what you said about, about this earlier in the show. Um, but then you also have to look at examples like Kill Bill Volume 1, where Tarantino was ordered or, or he came up with the yeah. idea to make a whole battle sequence black and white because if he had left it in color, they would have gotten an NC-17 because of all the blood. Yeah. I feel like when you're dealing with this much blood, I think the MPAA takes notice. Um, I, but I, but I, the blood, I see where But you the blood differ. was so fake and so cartoonish and so absurd. Like every was little it? thrust of the sword was blood just spewing out of Every person, dude, dude, that was Kill Bill Volume One. It was exactly the same. It was very cartoonish, but but Kill Bill, it was still it was practical effects. It was still like somebody standing off camera, squirting blood all over somebody. It looks much more real. This doesn't have any pretense of looking realistic. Interesting. Well, that's an interesting way to put it. I I don't know what the criteria is for for realistically looking blood or not. Um. Apparently you do. Only only, only the MPAA knows. 
but uh, it's it certainly is strongly sustained throughout the whole film. And uh, I was kind of I was thinking to myself like, wow, imagine somebody from like the 30s traveling through time and l- no. landing landing in this multiplex and watching this film with me. They would they would probably so think confused. they would think probably that this film was like from Satan or something. I think they would be overwhelmed. I think it would be abuse them it, orally and visually and in every sense they would just be so accosted by the film that they wouldn't know what to think. Yeah. And I think that's probably what they're going for with modern day audiences too. I think so. I think that I and I think that modern day audiences don't necessarily care about the things that that uh that I was talking about needing in a film, you know, that sort of extra little bit. Anyway, uh, it, it certainly was an experience to be had. It certainly was uh, visually interesting mm-hmm. to watch. And and as we said, sound-wise, if you go see it in a well-equipped theater, um, it's it's very uh, compelling, you know, aural experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, But that's about the best I can say for it. I don't think it's a good film, and I wouldn't recommend going to see it. Uh, and especially if you haven't seen the first one. I don't think that this is necessarily work it, worth it unless you're just looking for that cheesecake fix or beefcake fix. <laughs> Whatever cake. <laughs> Which you will get in abundance in this film. Um, but other than that, I, I, there's not much to recommend it. Yeah, I uh, basically I think the people who are, who are going to see this film are going to like it. I think the, the mm. people who, who are the intended audience will, will yeah. probably – be satisfied and then they'll probably forget all about it and then go uh, I don't know or they'll buy it for their sweet home theater system just to show off their big screen television and their awesome sound system yeah cuz it'll be good for that sort of thing it's like a good de- it's like a good for demos in a in a, a audio home audio store <laughs> you <Home> know electronics <laughs> like uh like yeah. Will Forte's character in Nebraska <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> Yeah, or Don Cheadle's character in Boogie Nights. Oh yes, that's nice cool. <laughs> Although that's music, I guess. Well, yeah, anyway, I would never see this film if it weren't for this podcast. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't have either, uh, seeing as how much I disliked the first one for a lot of the same reasons. But uh, that that's that. And uh, next week we are going to be talking about another action flick. Yeah. Another another modern day action flick. This one starring Aaron Paul, his first major starring feature film role. Yes, indeed. Uh, of he is of course of Breaking Bad fame as Jesse, Jesse Pinkman, the the assistant to Walter White. Yeah, and uh, he was of course much lauded for his performance in that. And we'll see if he pulls out another great performance in Need for Speed. I wonder if the the film was kind of set up by the uh, the finale of Breaking Bad, not, not <laughs> where he's dri- yeah, driving away. <laughs> not to get not to give anything away, but at the, at the finale, like he 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 speeds right through this compound and and drives busts right through this like this metal gate, and then he's like on this huge rush, and it's like, yeah, well, gee, I wonder if maybe that's what happened to Jesse Pinkman after <laughs> Breaking Bad. Somehow I feel like this was probably in pre-production long before the <laughs> finale of Breaking Bad was filmed. Well, maybe it'll show up in the trivia comments uh, on IMDb. We'll see. Maybe. Maybe. 
But uh, but please join us for uh, our discussion of that film, and uh, we'll see you next time. Adios.